This is the day the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. Good morning and welcome to Wheaton Bible Church on this third Sunday of Advent where we are eagerly anticipating Christ's birth. Advent puts us in this posture of waiting, of yearning for Christ to come and to make all things new again. And because of who Christ is, Emmanuel, God with us, we can wait with joy. Even in times of uncertainty and even of sorrow, we can wait with Christ, with joy. Hear these words from Psalm 33 to start this morning. Our soul waits for the Lord. He is our help and our shield. For our heart is glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. Amen. Let's stand and worship the Lord.
You may be seated. I'm thankful that over the course of the pandemic, our choir has had the opportunity to produce several videos of anthems and hymns, and we'd like to pre present one to you this morning. If you know any of our choir members, you know that their heart's desire is to help lead you, our congregation, in worship, and we invite you to do that just now as you listen to the beautiful music and ponder the text that they're going to sing, Unto Us a Son is Born. My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he has been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, 
All generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. And there were shepherds staying out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And then the Lord appears to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all you people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Messiah. He is the Lord. Traditionally, the third week of Advent has moved the church from the focus on our desperate need of the Savior to a focus on joy. This is a radical shift that highlights our response to the fulfillment of the prophecies of the Old Testament. The Savior is born. Emmanuel, God is with us. He himself is our reason for joy. Not favorable or happy circumstances, not the abundance of material possessions, nor the absence of adversity and suffering in this life. We are able to be a suffering yet an always rejoicing people because, because our joy is in this broken world is never dependent on anything other than Christ himself and what he has already done for us. God has come to us. Our sin has been taken away. Eternal life has been given. We are no longer slaves and spiritual orphans. We have been given the Spirit, Holy Spirit and we are one with Christ forever. So rejoice, for all things are now yours, whether the world or life or death, or the present or the future, all are yours, and you are Christ's, and Christ is God's. He's our reason for joy.
seated. Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. The Advent season is a time of expectant waiting. And as we're making plans for Christmas Eve services, I'm doing a much better job with the expecting than the waiting. Whether you're planning to join us on campus or online like my family is, you can get the details at wheatonbible.org Christmas. Some of our services have already reached capacity on campus, but all of our service times will be live streamed and we'd love to join you there. In addition, we opened up some new service times. So check back at wheatonbible.org Christmas to grab a seat. I'm Kyle, our pastor of Sending and Outreach. At Missions Fest just a few weeks ago, I asked you to consider giving above and beyond to support several of our missionaries on the front lines in some of the world's largest areas of humanitarian crisis. We set a goal of $40,000 to be used for food and medical supplies in areas of urgent need. And in just one week, you smashed that goal and we were able to send $150,000. My team and I had the joy of telling our partners that they would receive nearly four times what we were praying and hoping for. Take a listen to this. I just wanted to connect with you to give you an update on our Wheaton Bible Church Missions Fest giving project. Set a goal, you know, $40,000 to help force hotspots um, around the world. Because of our congregation's generosity, they responded uh, between three and four times what we had asked for. That first Sunday, I believe we were, what, Mm -hmm. $45,000? And then the following Sunday, we were already... um, 89 89 or so. Wow. Everything came in, we're almost just under $150,000. Our congregation responded way beyond what we anticipated. And and so we're thrilled to be able to extend a grant to you in Life Agape Lebanon of $35,000. Wow. That's that's exciting. (laughs) Hallelujah. (laughs) Hallelujah. Wow. (laughs) Really, thank you. <laughs> My heart is beating. <laughs> we would like to extend uh, to Call of Hope Lebanon a grant of $25,000. Thank you so much. The funds would be in maturity used for the refugees in the Bekaa, especially now for the uh, needs of the cold winter. We're just delighted. Uh, to have released above and beyond uh, $15,000 U.S. for the work that God is doing in you and through you and Uru. That's absolutely amazing. 15,000 feeds our kids maybe about three and a half months or so. Yeah, yeah. That's a huge amount. For um, efforts in Bolivia that you guys will channel is we have $8,000, $8,000 for you guys to uh, see how it could be used best to free up resources that you guys might have for other things, but so we could specifically help. Oh my Wow, Carlos, that is amazing. (laughs) We um, were uh, speechless and are so, so grateful for 
uh, Wheaton Bible Church, their generosity and their partnership in the gospel. So we're, we're happy to tell you that $22,000 is good. <laughs> Thank you, Crisis Wheaton Bible! <laughs> what your church has done for us in terms of uh, not just the financial support, what you've done uh, to Haider, you know, when everything around us is, is crumbling and we're actually losing partners because of the situation, you guys stepping up and saying, hey, we decided to increase our giving to you. You know, you have no idea how much that lifted us, mm. you know, and encouraged us to do more, you know. It's a, I'm sorry. Really, you know, uh, we know that God loves us, but we also know that we have brothers and sisters who are there for us because they pray for us. They know our need. God tells them our need. So we, we love you and we appreciate all of what, what you have been doing for us. Thank you. It's amazing to see the impact this has and how much this means to our missionaries. Now our church supports more than 90 missionaries around the world every month each year. It's what enables us to be on the front lines when tragedies hit, like the explosion in Beirut. And while $150,000 is incredible to meet urgent needs, I want you to know that despite the challenges of this year, your generosity throughout the year has allowed us to send nearly $1.8 million out to our local and global partners. We didn't need to miss or reduce a single gift of promised support. So I want to encourage you to continue to give generously. Because through your generosity in our local ministries and global missionaries, God's love shines brightly through his church. Would you take a moment to consider giving or setting up a recurring gift to support ministry here? You can easily do this by giving online at wheatonbible.org give or by mailing a check to the church office. Thank you for being a partner in ministry here. Well, good morning. And before I pray, let me just add a couple of things, actually a couple praises. We saw in the video all the different ways we've been able to minister during this pandemic, globally especially. Let me just highlight a couple of things locally. Yesterday we had a Christmas store. We were able to give two gifts to 425 children that were represented by, I believe, about 315, 320 families. In a, a addition, we had several hundred volunteers that invested to make this store happen. Volunteers from Wheaton Bible Church and our, our ministries investing about 1,800 hours. And I want to say thank you, church, for that incredible response. During the pandemic, we have distributed $210,000 locally to meet needs, to help people pay utilities, to help people that have lost jobs and are behind on rent or mortgages, to help in a variety of different ways. We've distributed 20,000 pounds of food. We've had five blood drives. 
And I want you to know that during this time, our building is being wonderfully used, used safely and with precaution. For example, every day, Monday through Friday, our preschool ministry serves about 130 preschool students, many from different places around the world. In addition, because of schools being shut down, we have relocated our Pointe after-school ministry to here, to our West Chicago campus, and as a result, we are ministering to primarily elementary children throughout the entire school day, Monday through Friday. That's about a little over 100 elementary age school children in addition to our preschool. We are so thankful for what God is doing, how God is being glorified. One statistic that really encourages me is that in spite of the pandemic, we still have about 800 1,800 rather people, 1,800 people meeting in small groups or Bible studies of one form or another. That's down only uh, between 10 and 13 percent. God is at work. God is doing wonderful things, and I want to thank you for your prayers. I want to thank you for your generosity. Now as we come and continue to work through the month of December, when churches and parachurch organizations like ours receive 25% of our annual revenue in this month alone, I just want to encourage you to pray. I want to encourage you to give. I want to encourage you to bring a Christmas gift to Jesus that we might continue to reach more and more people for Jesus Christ. Amen? And in addition to all of this, I want you to know we've had an incredible response to our in-person Christmas Eve services, so much so that this week we added two more. So we will have two on the 23rd and four on the 24th. You can check out the details online. You need to make reservations. Many of those services are filling. That's why we've added. And to God be the glory, in spite of COVID, God is building his church. The church is ministering to people. And thank you for your prayers. Thank you for your support. Let's pray. Father, we are amazed at what you have given us in Jesus. The good news, the great response we've heard from our missionaries, the wonderful songs we sing, the, the, the families we see, the uh, grace revealed in the advent of Christ. And we ask, Father, now that as we turn to your word, that you would bless us and you would speak to us that Jesus might be glorified. And I pray in his great name, amen. Just two years ago, 2018, Yale University offered a course on happiness. 1,200 Yale University students enrolled in that course. That's about 25% of the entire undergraduate population at Yale. The course was so popular, it was offered only once because it gutted so many other courses on campus just two years ago. Twelve years earlier, Harvard University offered a similar course with a similar overwhelming response. Now, why? 
Why would so many of America's most gifted students take a course on happiness while they're focusing on competing for the best jobs in the world, knowing that many of them will get those jobs? I love the way one student responded, one Yale student responded when he or she said, you know, the reason for the response to this course on happiness is simply that we are tired here at Yale of numbing our emotions to focus on our work and our accomplishments. Now these are 19, 20, and 21-year-olds who are living the academic dream. They've been accepted and are thriving in the, the school of their dreams. Yet once upon enrolling along the way, apparently they have realized that doesn't necessarily bring happiness. So, so many students, both at Harvard and Yale, have enrolled in the, uh, these courses in order to discover what went wrong. I've got all this, I'm living this dream, uh, but I'm not happy. The star NFL quarterback Tom Brady a couple years ago uh, said the same thing a little differently when he was interviewed on 60 Minutes. Uh, Brady had just won his third Super Bowl. He would go on to win three more. And as he was being interviewed, he, he said, you know, a lot of people think that I've reached the mountaintop that what I'm living and experiencing is the dream. It doesn't get any better than this. But I keep telling myself there's got to be more to life than this. Uh, because this, the success I've experienced, isn't all it's cracked up to be. A woman by the name of Dr. Santos was the professor of that 2018 course at Yale. And in light of the response, she made a remarkable statement. She said, you know, the response to the course like this and what they did at Harvard is so great because what we're discovering is that our intuitions about what makes us happy are totally wrong, completely wrong. You see, the modern American notion is that accomplishment Affluence and autonomy is what leads us to the good life, to joy and happiness. And I'm going to use those terms synonymously this morning. But the reality is they're like cars without engines. They can't get us down the road at all. And so Christianity comes along, and today in our Western culture, Christianity is a minority report. And said, uh, of course our intuitions are wrong. And that is precisely why God sent his son, born on Christmas, to give humanity its joy back. And that's what I want to talk to you about today. How Jesus Christ has come to give you, your family, your friends, 
your joy back. This is week number three in our Advent series. And today we come to Luke chapter 2 and the story of the shepherds, a a well-known, beloved story. If the Christmas story of Mary (coughs) is a story of faith of her husband Joseph, if that's a Christmas story about mercy and compassion, then the Luke chapter 2 story of the shepherds is a story of joy because joy overflows in this passage. So I want to invite you to turn with me in your Bibles and stand with me as I read beginning in Luke chapter 2 and verse 8. And we read, And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause, now notice, great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in claws and lying in a manger. Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, hey, let's go. Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off. And they found Mary, and they found Joseph, and they met Mary, and they met Joseph, and they found the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they, the shepherds, had seen him, that is the baby, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had been told. Now you may be seated. You know, one of the things I love about God's word is that nobody can make this kind of stuff up. And so this morning, what I want to do in this incredible passage is offer you three keys to joy, three habits of happiness, if you will. They did some research a while ago, and the researchers discovered that children, get this, children laugh about 400 times a day. You know what it is for adults? A mere 15. And I want to suggest to you, and here uh, Christianity is telling us that Jesus has come to give you your laughter back. So key number one, habit number one. And uh, guys, I don't have my clicker up here, so I want to move the slides. Let's move the slide to the next slide. Uh, This is key number one, happiness number one, and I'm going to fumble here for a minute, and they'll get me my clicker, and then we'll be ready to roll. You see God, you 
see God as eternally happy. Now, this is almost counterintuitive. You see God as the author and the source of happiness. You understand that the enjoyment of God is the only happiness with which your soul can be ultimately satisfied. I mean, think about Christmas. What is Christmas according to the Bible? Christmas, according to the Bible, is the story of the God of joy sending his son of joy to take on human flesh so that he might die for our joy so that as we come to Jesus and keep coming to Jesus, we might find joy in the overflow of Jesus, of God's joy. Thank you, Yair. Thank you very much. Now, what I want to do, because as, as I said, this concept is a little counterintuitive for us, I want to go back to the Old Testament and establish it and then come to our passage here in Luke. So look at this passage with me in Zephaniah. Sing, daughter of Zion, shout out loud, Israel. Be glad and rejoice with all your heart, daughter of Jerusalem. Now, if you look closely, there's four different words there for Joy, four different Hebrew words, sing, shout out loud, be glad and rejoice, all different Hebrew words for joy. In other words, this one verse is over the top with a call or a promise to God's people of coming joy. Now surely a God who isn't happy wouldn't call his people to this kind of joy. But it gets better. Let's look at the next verse. This is three verses later, Zephaniah chapter 3. The Lord your God is with you, the mighty warrior who saves. He will take great delight. Now those are, great delight are two different Hebrew words for joy that can be translated, he will rejoice over you with great gladness. So we have two Hebrew words there that we continue in you, in his love, he will no longer rebuke you. And here we have two more again, two different Hebrew words. He will rejoice over you uh, with singing. Now here, in one verse with these four words, we have a verse that is overflowing uh, with the scriptures about joy, but it isn't humans that are the object of this joy, these descriptors are telling us God himself overflows with joy. That verse 17, that God's joy is the source of human joy, described three verses earlier. Do you see? This is the Old Testament. And a typical American misconception about the Old Testament is in the Old Testament, the God we meet there is a God of wrath. He's a God of anger. He's a God of judgment, God of war, God of condemnation. And here Zephaniah 3 is telling us, no, not so. And it's representative of other passages in the Old Testament. The God of the Old Testament overflows with joy. He is an eternally happy, joyful, glad God. Wow. And now that brings us to our passage in Luke chapter 2, where we see joy in three different ways. For example, right at the beginning, but the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy. Now, not great consternation. 
not great duty, not great restriction, not great rules, not great difficulty, but great joy. Jesus' birth, Christmas, is all about joy. The gospel is a gospel of happiness. And that's almost the very first thing the angel says, or it is here the first thing the angel says about the advent of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't know what those of you that are students think about God right now when so much of us, especially you teenagers, you older students, so much of what you want to do and how you want to socialize has been shut down. I don't know how that's causing you to react to God. I don't know how it's causing others of you to react to God in the midst of your difficulty, your pain, or your loss right now. And Christmas always intensifies pain. But what I want you to understand and see here, based on Zephaniah chapter 3, and here, and this is just the first illustration of Luke chapter 2 and verse 10, is a part of God's glory is God's happiness. To be infinitely glorious as God is, is to be infinitely happy. And nowhere, nowhere in the Bible is that more vividly seen than in Luke chapter 2 at the advent, the birth of Jesus Christ. I bring you good news. That's the gospel that will cause great joy. Not a little joy, not partial joy, but, but great joy. Now that's the first. Let's go on. We see it again in our passage when we read, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host had appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Now one angel is now joined by a multitude of angels and the praising God and the worshiping God is illustrative of their great joy. And they tell us that one of the consequences of joy is peace. Now, I don't know how you experience joy in Jesus Christ, but I got to tell you one of the main ways I experience it is when we are gathered together as a church and we worship. There's something about that experience when we're all the body of Christ here at Wheaton Bible Church gathered together and we're collectively praising God and focusing God that everything in my life sort of um, drops away. And there's a joy and a peace and a contentment that wells up in, inside of me. It's why worshiping together is so important. But there's one more illustration, verse 20. So what do the shepherds do after they see the baby and uh, meditate on the promises, man, they return and they're glorifying and, and praising God. They're overflowing with joy. They break out in joyful praise. Think about it. The birth of Jesus Christ wasn't an accident. It wasn't a last-minute thing. It was planned before the foundation of the world. And amazingly, God's response to human sin, human suffering, all our hate, all our racism, all our war, all our injustice wasn't condemnation. It wasn't judgment. It was intervention and rescue. And when Jesus took on human flesh, he did what the philosophers could never conceive, what leaders could never strategize, what artists could never imagine. 
Jesus wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a barn. He wasn't born in wealth and comfort. He was born in poverty and difficulty, indicating that he came as a servant. And as that servant, he lived the perfect life that we could never live. He died the death that we deserve. He was raised from the dead to conquer and destroy the very things in your life that steal your happiness. I bring you good news of great joy. Is it any wonder that at the advent of the birth of Jesus Christ, we are told that night, that day, those days overflowed with joy, and heaven, through this incredible party, Jesus Christ came to give you your joy back. That's the point here in Luke chapter 2. Jesus has no other purpose in your life. Hear me in this. Jesus has no other purpose in your life than to give you joy. He's not an angry God. He's not a mean God. He's not a dispassionate, disinterested God. I bring you good news of great joy. Now let me go on to the second key and the the second happiness or habit to happiness. And that is you, as a follower of Christ, you listen well. I mean, you listen to God well. Uh, You learn to love Jesus because you listen to God's word well. And uh, we see this in uh, several different places. Let's start with verse 15. Uh, When the angels had left them, that is the shepherds, and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go. Let's see this thing that has happened. Now notice the end here, which the Lord has told us about. Wait a minute, it was the angels that spoke. Yet the shepherds understand that the angels were messengers and it was God that was speaking to them through the angels. That's an incredible move, a move by faith. And so here they are understanding that God has revealed his word to them. And what we see is an incredible illustration of what it means to listen well. What does it mean to listen well? Well, God speaks and the shepherds act. To listen well is to act, not just to digest, not just to be familiar with, but to act on the word of God. But there's more, so much more. This is Mary's response. And here we move from an external response to an internal response. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. That word treasured is such a beautiful word. It means prized. It means valued. It means to set something above everything else in life. And for those of you that are hurting right now, I want you to see this. It's easy when we're suffering to define ourselves by our pain. Mary defines herself by who Jesus is and the promises that are about to unfold. 
And I want, to be, I want you to be very careful when uh, um, you hit deep water or uh, things fall apart and, and you're frustrated and you're deeply frustrated about this or, or that. And I want you to be very careful that you don't define yourself by your problems. You don't treasure up your problems and place them above everything else and prize them. And because of our sinful, distorted hearts, we tend to do that. Uh, No, you don't define yourself by your circumstances. You treasure up and define yourself by the wonder of the great joy that has been brought to you In Jesus Christ, he has come to give you your joy back, to give you your joy in the context of your suffering. Count it all joy when you encounter various trials. Difficulty and joy are not mutually exclusive. And I'll come back to that uh, briefly. But we're told Mary not only treasured, we're told Mary pondered. That's a word for think. It's a word, uh, pondering is what an engineer does when he or she is building a building, what a coach does in creating a game plan, what a lover does to get to know his or her uh, beloved. You treasure the thing, you ponder, I should say, and here we see the connection between the two words. You ponder the things you treasure. Right now, Rhonda, my wife, cannot find a box of important Christmas decorations. I I think she spent a a couple hours looking for them and hours thinking about where she has misplaced them. And she knows I'm of no use whatsoever because I think the decorations just automatically happen. And there, there's a couple things in this box that are really important to Rhonda, so she's pondering, she's pondering, she's pondering. That's what we do about things maybe we lost that are valuable, things that we want that are valuable. We treasure them up and we ponder. I wonder, are you pondering about Jesus? What is listening well? Listening well is treasuring God's word. It's pondering God's word. It's acting on God's word. Now let me show you a connection and a verse I love here in 1 Peter. This is verse 8 of chapter 1. Now notice this verse. This is kind of a mind-boggling verse for me. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. Now notice friends, that this is all about experience. Existential living. Uh, You love him. Uh, You believe in him and you are filled with an inexpressible uh, joy. God has not come to merely, Jesus has not come merely to satisfy your curiosity, but to satisfy your deepest longings for joy. And so to the extent you experience them, you are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. But what I want to comment on is beginning in verse 10, and I'm not going to go there right now, all the way through that paragraph that begins in verse 10, Peter shifts and he begins talking about the word of God revealed in prophecy, the word of God about Jesus. 
And what we see in 1 Peter chapter 1 is this incredible connection between your joy, your existential experience of joy, if I can say it that way, and your intake of God's word. And my point is to the extent that you listen to God's word, you press God's word down into your heart, you meditate on God's word, you will experience joy. It's the connection in Peter. It's what we see in Luke chapter 2. And and let me just say this about COVID. I, I am not scared of COVID. I am not scared of dying. My days are in God's hands. And I hope you feel the same way, amen? But I am scared to death of what COVID may do to weaken us as the church of Jesus Christ. I am scared because of some of the setbacks you are experiencing because of COVID because of some of the changes and patterns in your mind and, and, and your life, that you won't recover. I, I am scared that you will normalize isolation and reduce church to watching it online. And to walk away from all the demands and sacrifices uh, relationships require of us. But you know the thing that scares me the most about COVID? Is that you will grow weak in your spiritual disciplines of reading God's word, meditating on God's word, praying back to God his word. Because of all the time we spend in front of the screen. Uh, Friends, I'm not scared of dying, I'm not scared of COVID, but I am scared of the toll that COVID is going to take on the church. And what we are told here in this Christmas story is that the key to living a life of joy is listening to God's word, treasuring God's word, Uh, responding to God's word in incredible ways. I have been reading uh, this week portions of a wonderful book by Randy Alcorn entitled Happiness. You want to read about joy and happiness? Uh, Read this book by Alcorn on happiness. And now I want to talk a second about affluence, money, and the toll it takes on our joy. And Alcorn has a very interesting section that's actually fairly long about people that have won the lottery and how it hasn't produced joy. So here's a couple short stories. A guy by the name of William won $16 million in 88. Promptly or shortly afterward, he was sued by his former girlfriend who wanted the money. His brother hired a hitman, hoping to murder him so the brother could inherit the money. After just one year, 
uh, William was a million dollars in debt and he went to jail for shooting a gun over the head of a debt collector. He died in 2006 after declaring winning that money was a nightmare and he was totally bankrupt. A guy by the name of Jeffrey won $20 million in 96 and he bought homes for his relatives. Several years later, his sister-in-law and her boyfriend kidnapped him, murdered him to get the money. Billy Bob won $31 million in 97. He used the money to purchase a ranch, several homes, and cars for himself and his family. His spending and lending spiraled out of control. And not long afterward, he divorced his wife. Just 20 months after winning the lottery, Billy Bob killed himself. A man by the name of Abraham, a great name, Abraham Shakespeare, won $31 million in 2006. He went missing the next year and was found murdered under a, a slab of concrete. Now, Alcorn says this after these stories, and there's a lot more stories. People have dream of winning the lottery because they're certain it will bring them ha lasting happiness. Now, don't look so pious. You dream of this too. But once they do win the lottery and still don't find happiness, hope vanishes. Those students at Harvard and Yale won the collegiate lottery. But they weren't happy. Research tells us that there is little correlation between your circumstances and your happiness. And Jesus alone was born to give us our joy back, to help us overcome our, our, our wrong intuitions about happiness. And the only way uh, you will overcome the downward pull of your circumstances is by listening to God's word, listening to his word. Uh, where you treasure God's word above all else. You ponder God's word as you go through your days and you act on God's word. So what we've seen so far is that the keys to joy, the habits of happiness, uh, deepen to the extent we see God as joyful, to the extent we listen to God revealed in his word because we study his word to see Jesus. And the third and the last thing I, I want to say is that your joy deepens to the extent you address your fears with faith. Now let's go back to verses 9 and 10. And the shepherds were terrified. I would have been terrified. You would have been terrified at the appearance of the angel and the light. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news, this good news of great joy. Do not be afraid is the most re single most repeated command in the Bible, in the entirety of the Bible, uh, because fear and anxiety and worry is one of life's greatest problems, and often for us as believers. Do you know what anxiety is? Anxiety is dark waves crashing against your heart, dragging you out to sea piece by 
peace. That's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to get you embroiled in a life uh, characterized by anxiety. So what are we to do? Well, there is one word in the uh, Greek that doesn't appear in our English translations very often. And it's a word that comes right after the four words, do not be afraid. And it's the word see. It's the word behold. Do not be afraid. See, behold, I bring you good news of a great joy. In other words, what the angel is saying is that the antidote, the solution to your fearing, to your anxiety, to your, your worrying is that you need to be perceiving, you need to be seeing, you need to be holding the wonder and the beauty of Jesus Christ, the perfect life he lived, the suffering and death he took on himself for you, the glory of his resurrection, the reality of his presence, his plans for your future, the new heavens and the new earth, and on and on. And what the angel says getting at the root of our anxiety is relatively simple. He is saying, Jesus is the antidote to your fear. Jesus is the antidote to your anxiety and your worry. Now, I know anxiety is very complicated. There's all sorts of factors, and I don't want to simplify what is complex and very difficult, but at the end of the day, here we discover the solution. You see, the healing of anxiety comes with the slow, steady process of you taking your eyes off yourself, off your circumstances, and fixing them on Jesus. Paul says the same thing here in 2 Corinthians chapter 4. For our light momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that outweighs, that far outweighs them all. So what do we do? We fix our eyes not on what is seen, not on COVID, not on our jobs, not on our families, uh, but what is uh, unseen. Since that which is seen is temporary, but that which is unseen is eternal. So yeah, today, and I see this all the time, uh, we are riddled with fear, we're riddled with anxiety, we're riddled with worry. We fear COVID, we fear change, we fear loss, we fear pain, we fear setback, uh, we fear for our kids, we fear this, we fear that. Uh, but to the extent we fix our eyes on the wonder and the beauty and the face of Jesus Christ, a metaphor for his person, and we grasp that this baby born in Bethlehem is in control of all the forces of nature, in control of all the events of history, in control of all the situations of, uh, of our life, uh, then uh, uh, we will know that it doesn't make any sense for us to worry that Jesus is somehow going to fail us in our time of need. And so we look to Jesus, we look to that which is unseen, And you will address your fears by faith. It's exactly what Hebrews tells us Moses did. When it tells us Moses lived his life, I can't imagine the heartache and the headache Moses experienced. But Hebrews tells us that he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. The baby was born in history. 
You know, our biggest fear, and this isn't just me, our biggest fear is a lack of control, that things are going to slip out of control, that I can't control this. It's why we fear the future, because we can't uh, control the future. And you know what the angel says uh, to the shepherds in verse 11? He says, wait a minute, guys. This son is a savior. He's the Messiah. He's the king. He's the Lord. And in saying that, you know what the shepherd is, or the angel is telling the shepherd? Surrender control. You're not in control. You're not the king. Jesus is the king. He's the Messiah. He's the Lord. And, And to the extent we realize that, we will know the bad things in our life will turn out for good, that the good things will never be taken for from us, and the best is yet to come because Jesus was born at Christmas to fill our cup with joy. And I want you to fix your eyes on Jesus. My biggest hope for you is that you will experience Jesus because you listen well. My biggest fear is that you won't. And we need the grace of God to change us in the midst of this pandemic. Let's pray. Father, I want to pray for my friends. I want to pray for our church family, my brothers and sisters in Christ. And ask that you would work in our lives that we would see that the invitation to walk with Jesus is an invitation to chronic and continual joy. Yes, there will be pain, and we don't deny the pain. Uh, We don't do ourselves any favors or the people around us any favors if we live in denial. But in the midst of our pain, there's a joy that is transcendent because Jesus is the author. He is the ruler of life. And we praise you, God, for the grace you have shown us in Jesus. Amen. Please stand and sing with us.
And so, Father, we praise you. And we pray for the grace that the great joy that is available in Jesus Christ would be our joy, regardless of what we're going through. Would you, by your Spirit, open our eyes to see the beauty, the wonder, the power, and the presence of our Savior? And all God's people said, Amen. Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent. Thank you.